Part of the verse is to focus on God and meeting Him, worshiping Him, getting to know Him. The second part of the verse, He will teach us of His ways. When we meet God, He wants to reveal Himself to us so that we can learn more about Him. But then there's a third part to this verse, and we will walk in His path. And that's what we would like to look at this morning. After we meet God on the mountain, after we meet Him in worship, after He reveals Himself to us, shows his character to us, shows us his purpose for our lives, what are we going to do about it? Are we going to move forward? Are we going to walk in his head? The title for the message this morning is Feeling the Height. And uh, the two messages this morning, the first one I'd like to focus on, on actually feeling the height, a successful climb, as it were, and then the second message what about when we need the mountain? What do we do then as we continue to walk in this path? A number of you um, commented to me this weekend about enjoying mountains, uh, enjoying hiking, enjoying climbing. And it's been interesting to hear some of your experiences in that area. Several years ago, quite some years ago, I spent uh, a number of weeks in New Mexico with a uh, mission down there, spent the summer there. And in the area we were, we were just uh, not far from the Continental Divide. On the one side of us was open desert area, and just to the other side of us, uh, we were just alongside the mountains where the Continental Divide was. And um, the first day when I came into this area, there was one mountain piece that was separate from the main mountain ridge out in the desert, which just rose up above the desert, uh, a beautiful mountain piece that you could dominated the horizon even from 60 miles away, just stood up above the horizon. I was traveling with another, another young man, and uh, I looked at that mountain. I said, that looks like an interesting mountain climb. And he just laughed. He could not quite identify with that guitar. But every day when I was there, I saw that mountain, and I couldn't get this idea of climbing that mountain out of my head. And uh, pretty soon I found another young man that was also interested in climbing the mountain. We talked about it for a while. But the problem was, we did not know if it would be possible for two relatively inexperienced people without special equipment to reach the peak of that mountain. Because a lot of the mountains are pretty vertical. And uh, there's about a 5,000 foot difference in altitude from the starting point to the peak. And we weren't sure if we would be able to make it or not. So I started asking questions. Everyone I not everyone, but as I met people in the community, do you know anyone that climbs those peaks? 
and we lay behind. Sometimes we have the same tendency in our Christian life. We know that there are certain things that we need to do. And we have this idea that someday I'm going to need to develop this discipline in my life. And when it's important, I'm going to do it. But for now, I'm just going to ignore it a little bit. Maybe we have this idea of the young person. You know, I'm, I'm really struggling with my devotional life, but, you know, I'm a youth, I'm busy, there's too many activities, and then next year I'd like to go into BS, and when I get into BS, then, then I'm going to develop this discipline of having a good devotional life. You see, we're waiting to put on our shoes until we think we really need them. It doesn't work, because you will find that when you're in BS, it's no easier to have a disciplined devotional life than it is right at home in your home community. Because guess what? Your kids are going to be busy there too. There's going to be lots of activities. We may have this idea that, you know, I, I know I'm struggling in this area of moral purity. Uh, my whole life is, yeah, I struggle with that. I struggle with pornography, and I need to get victory over this. But, you know, when, when I get married, it's going to be different. When I get married, then, then I'm going to wear the suit that I need to wear. It's not going to work. You see, God gives you today the period of youth as an opportunity to develop these disciplines of, of purity and, and Bible reading and whatever, whatever it is. You need to break in the shoes today. Or we may tell ourselves that, you know, I'd really like to give more to God's work, but you know, right now I'm paying off my car, or maybe some of us paying off my house. When I get a better job, you know, then I'm going to give more to God's work. But if you don't do it now, it's not going to happen later. If you expect to wear those shoes later on, we need to break them in now. And if you don't break them in now, you're going to be disappointed to find that they really don't fit so well when you really need them. Luke chapter 16 says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. So we need to be prepared in wearing our shoes. Another point of preparation, this uh, man told us uh, this mountain that we find, Cook Peak, that I mentioned, was in New Mexico. New Mexico is pretty far south. The sun gets pretty intense, and the air was very dry, very, very low humidity, and it just whipped the moisture from your body. Furthermore, if you get an altitude, the sun gets more intense. And he said, you need to carry all the water you can carry, because you're going to need it. Take all the water you can carry. Well, we carried a lot of water with us that day. And we were glad for the water. I climbed a mountain one time with someone who ran out of water. And it wasn't pleasant. It pretty much ruined the hike for all of us. Uh, he, he was just, he was getting pretty desperate. He needed water. He shared the water we had with him. But you need water if you're going to fight. Yesterday we talked about meeting the presence of God. And I just look at that communion with God, that fellowship with God. Your time in prayer as the water that is going to refresh you. And it's something that needs to occur daily. You need to reach out on the mountain as it were every day so that He can refresh you and give you that strength that you need for the time. I also mentioned the, uh, the map that I purchased. I enjoy looking at maps. I do not enjoy 
going into a new community. I, we had visitors from another state some time ago, and I asked them, uh, what routes did you bring to, to get here? I was curious how they came. I don't know. I just followed the GPS. I said, you don't know what highway you're on? I don't know. I just the GPS followed us here. Well, I don't, uh, I can't quite identify with that. I like to know where I am. I like to look at maps. I like to see what's around me, especially when I'm on a hike in strange territory. I always have that map accessible so I can pull it out and see, see what to expect, what's ahead. And of course, you can, you can, um, surmise that the analogy here is God's roadmap for us in scripture. Do we follow the scriptures or do we just we ask someone, where are you going? I don't know. I just go. I don't know where I'm going. They're not going to get where they wish to be at that rate. The more time you spend in God's Word, the more obvious your route becomes, and the better you know the path that you need to take. Make that your daily goal. Keep it handy. We need to follow God's Word. That's part of the preparation that we need to make. Well, after we're prepared, we also need to prepare for resistance. You know, a climb on a mountain is not easy. We faced resistance before we ever started this climb. Uh, I talked to one man, and uh, he was not an easy to the area. He actually grew up in the city, and he was uh, in the area there, kind of moved into the area. It was obvious he was, he still had some of the city background. He was ready to be that way. And he said, you, you need to really watch out for snakes. There's, there's snakes everywhere here. You, you need to be prepared for rattlesnakes. He was going on and on about rattlesnakes. And finally, I asked him, well, when's the last time you've seen a rattlesnake? Oh, well, I, I never saw any. Oh, well, I thought they were everywhere. Well, yeah, they are, but he never saw any. There were other people I mentioned. They laughed. And even as we were climbing, there were dangers that we faced that we did not anticipate. One thing that we encountered numerous times on that climb was open mind tap. It holds that we straight down into the mountain. And I don't know if these were, were events or not. They weren't always very big. They were even big enough to fall down through if you stepped into them. But they were covered with weeds and brush. You needed to watch where you were going. But if you were not prepared for that, the disaster could have struck. We were walking along. We weren't expecting that. And sometimes disaster can hit when you least expect it. I think of um, the example of Peter. Peter told Jesus, I'm ready to die with you. He was, he was ready to face the enemy, whatever it was. He was in the garden. Here come the soldiers. He looked out his sword and he started swinging away. What happened a few hours later? He was intimidated by a girl. A young girl that said, oh, you were with Jesus. And suddenly, he wasn't swinging the sword then anymore. He was intimidated. You see, when he faced the soldiers, he knew there was danger. But when he faced this young girl, he wasn't anticipating danger, and he fell. Elijah, the same way. We talked about him yesterday on the Mount, Mount Carmel. Facing hundreds of prophets of Baal and the king himself. He was a man of power, a man of strength. What did he do the next day? He was running from one woman, Jezebel. You know, he could face hundreds of prophets in power and courage, but when he was not anticipating the enemy, he was intimidated by one woman. We need to be prepared 
for danger, even when we're not expecting it. When God gives a purpose and a calling, do not allow yourself to be discouraged. Do not allow yourself to be deterred by those who may be victimized. Think of the example of Nehemiah, when Ken Ballot and the enemies were taunting him and were trying to get him to stop his work. His response to them is challenging to me. He said, to such a man as I, please. Now that might seem a little bit arrogant. To such a man as I, please. But I don't look at it that way. What, what me and I were saying, I am a man who has at my disposal the power of God. I have at my disposal the purpose of God for my life. I have the presence of God. And if I have these things, is there any reason I should please? Well, the answer is obvious. No. I ask you, is there any reason why you should please from God's purpose in your life? If you have His power and His presence, His protection, no. There's no reason why you should please. You need to prepare for the resistance. Something else that anyone who climbs the mountain probably enjoys doing is keeping your eye on the goal. You just keep looking at that peak. That's your destination. You keep your eyes on the goal. And as we were climbing Cook's Peak, we were hiking an hour, two hours, three hours. They really seemed to be getting a lot closer. But as we persisted, as we kept going, after a while, you see, we're, we're making progress. We're getting closer. We need to keep our eyes on our goal. You see, in this life, it's very easy to get distracted. God has a purpose for my life. He has a purpose for your life. But there are so many distractions around us, and we tend to take our eyes off the goal and we look at those distractions. And when we begin focusing on those distractions, we start going in that direction. I read an account one time of an old general store, a country general store that had you know, groceries and hardware and whatever. And in that store, there was a barrel of apples. And one day, the owner of the store saw this little boy walking around in the store. And he just uh, kept walking around this barrel of apples, kept looking at it, uh, looking up, looking where the store owner was, looking at this apple, and walking around. Finally, the store owner walked over to him and said, uh, Young man, are, are you trying to steal an apple? And he looked up at the owner and said, No, sir, I'm trying not to steal an apple. But you see, his focus was on the apples. He said he was trying not to steal them, but yet he kept looking at them. If you're trying not to steal an apple, don't keep looking at the apple. You need to focus on what you want, not on what you don't want. Another example. We had a dog when we were living in Romania at our house, and uh, this dog learned that when I offered it some food, he was not allowed to eat it until I said, okay. And I, I guess I kind of uh, got some pleasure uh, out of commanding the dog sometimes. But if I had some table scraps or something, I'd take it out and I'd hold it right in front of his face and I would rub it on its nose and the dog would just sit there. But he would not look at that scrap of meat. I would move it right in front of his face, it would look away. And I'd move it over and it would look the other way. It would not look at the meat. Rather, he would look at me, waiting for me to give the signal. It seemed like that dog realized that if he looked at the meat, he would not she would not have the resistance to not take it. But she kept her eyes on her master. And the moment I 
you know, Satan dangles all kinds of things in front of his face. What did you do when he does that? Do you look at what he's dangling in front of your face? Or do you keep turning your head away? He brings it over here, you turn your head away. Keep your eyes on the eyes of your master. Keep your eyes on your goals. If you want to reach the peak of the mountain, if you want to make a successful time, you need to keep your eyes on the goals. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the pain. He kept his eyes on the goals. We have a joy that is set before us. And I'm not talking about the joy of the physical accomplishment of finding a certain, reaching a certain altitude. I'm talking about meeting our master, hearing his words, well done now, good and faithful servant. Keep your eyes on the goal. I think there's something else pretty important that we need to remember when it comes to climbing the mountain. I'm going to give another illustration of uh, an event that happened a number of years ago. So, uh, a man by the name of Aaron Ralston. Some of you may have heard that name. You may have heard about this in the news a number of years back. Aaron Ralston is a hiker, a pretty accomplished mountain climber. He has quite a list of accomplishments to his name. He climbed to the highest in each of the 50 states, including Mount McKinley in Alaska, over 20,000 feet high. He climbed all of the peaks in Colorado that are over 14,000 feet. He climbed each one of them alone in the wintertime. He was the first person to ever do that. So he had quite a, quite a list of accomplishments. And uh, back in 2003, it was a spring morning in May, a bright sunny day, and he set out for what he considered to be a simple one-day hike, one-day excursion. So he left in the morning, and he headed into a remote area in southwest Utah, into an area known as the Blue John Canyon. And this is a, a narrow canyon, which at some point is only three feet wide, two, two long walls. And his hike included rappelling down through that canyon and going throughout the road. And as he was going down that canyon, he was lowering himself around a boulder that was stuck between the canyon walls. And as he was going down past that boulder, the boulder shifted and passed his hand between the boulder and the wall of the canyon. So there he was, with his hand stuck. He, he had a ledge right there that he could put his feet on, so he had a place to stand. He pulled, he pushed, he tried everything he could. He could not free his hand from that point. He was trapped 60 feet above the canyon floor, eight miles away from his truck. The night got quite frosty. Yes, it was in spring, it was a nice warm day, but the night got quite frosty. He raised his water to make it last as long as he could. He endured a second day, a second night, a third day. He ran out of water, and there he was. And he came to the conclusion that I think this is where I'm going to die. 
they will have someone stationed near the end of that race to join them and run beside them for the last mile or the last distance, whatever it is. Now, that person that's running along beside them, he cannot transfer energy to his friend. He cannot make the race any shorter. But he can give that affirmation. He can say, brother, I'm here. I'm running with you. You're almost there. I see the end. Keep on going. You're going to make it. You're going to finish this race. And that affirmation can just be what it needs to help him make that final drive across the finish line. What does it mean to have someone by your side? I find the testimony of Paul very interesting. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, in the last verses of that chapter, he kind of gives a um, uh, summary of his life, looking back over the events of his life, and he lists some of the, the difficulties that he faced, concerning the shipwreck, uh, all these big events in his life. And then at the end, he mentions one more thing. And he says, and being, he, he refers to the time when he was in Damascus, right after his conversion, and he was left down over the wall in a basket. And I find it interesting that he lists that with some of the major events in his life. But you see, I think the significance was there was the brotherhood that Paul felt in that experience. After all, how would you like to be halfway down a wall in a basket if there's no one at the other end holding the rope? That'd be a letdown feeling, literally. Paul was bringing acknowledgement to his friends that were holding the rope for him during that experience. And he lived that with the major experiences in his life. Had you been there to hold the rope for your brother, give him the affirmation that you need. As you read the epistles, as you read the account of Paul, over and over again, Paul gives acknowledgement and recognition to the people in his life. Just read some of his quotes. I have no man like Timothy. Another time, only Luke is with me. Another time, this isn't his exact words, but basically he said, if Titus doesn't go with me, I'm not going. The still and Aquila have for my life laid down their own men. Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in the labor, fellow soldier. In the book of Philippians, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. You see, Paul knew that he could not run his race alone. He was looking for that affirmation from his friends. Paul did not run alone. We need to share affirmations. We need to also give assistance. Now, again, let's look at uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 10. It says, For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he has not another to help him up. This might make a good team book for Aaron Lawson. Woe to him that is alone when he falleth. He did not have a brother to help him. What, did, what would he have given to just have someone by his side, someone that had two, three arms, that could say, you know, I'm going to get you out of here. Hang in there. Do we give the assistance? You know, as we're walking through the journey of life, as we're climbing the mountains of life, we are all going to fall. We are all going to stumble. That's right. What happens when you see a brother stumble, when you see a sister fall? Do you walk up to him with a critical look in your face 
and say, you should have known better. You should have taken my warning. I saw it coming. If you'd have listened to me, this wouldn't have happened. Or are you there willing to lend a hand and say, brother, sister, I'm here to help you. We're going to get through this. You're going to experience the victory. And I'm going to stick with you until you experience that victory. And I'm not talking only about falling into sin. We all fall into sin at times. But sometimes we fall into discouragement. We may fall into a bit of low self-esteem. We may fall into weariness. We just get weary with the journey. How can I go on? Are you there for your brother? I'm here to help you. Sometimes we fall into struggles with our health issues. We fall into financial difficulties. And to just have a brother can make the difference of winning or losing, of making a successful time. I think of the example of um, Moses, when he was up on top of the mountain, when the armies were fighting the uh, battle with uh, Amalek, and Amalek came to fight against Israel. You recall the story how Moses was up on the mountain. As long as he kept his hands raised towards God, his armies were prevailing. His hands grew weary. The armies of Amalek were prevailing. And the thing I find interesting there is that Moses knew exactly what he needed to do. He needed to keep his hands raised towards God. He knew what he needed to do. But he simply did not have the strength to do it. And sometimes you know what you need to do, and your brother and your sister knows what he or she needs to do, but the strength just isn't there to do it. That's when the assistance of brotherhood comes into the picture. You need to be there to hold up your arms to help them. And the beautiful thing about that picture is when those two men, Aaron and her, stood beside Moses and held up his arms. Everyone was a winner. Moses won, Aaron won, her won, the whole nation of Israel won. And when you, as a brotherhood, stick together, stand beside each other, everyone is a winner. It's not just for his benefit, for your benefit, it's for the benefit of the whole church. Look for ways to assist your brother, help them out when they fall. Let's look on at verse 11. Before. Again, if two lie together, then they have peace. But how can one be warm alone? I suppose probably most of you have had the experience in the wintertime. Maybe your little brother or your little sister was outside in the cold. Their hands were cold, freezing. They come in the house, they walked up behind you, and they put their fingers against your neck or your feet. What's your response? Get your cold hand off of me. You know, there's something about him that, that we don't appreciate at that moment. But in this verse, it says, if two stick together, they can both be warm. And what I see here is the principle of acceptance. Do you accept your brother even when he has cold hands? Or when there's something else in his life that just rubs you the wrong way that irritates you? Our response is, get off of me, get off my back, get away from me. Are you willing to accept him in decline? There may be characteristics, there may be habits that we cannot accept. But even though we cannot accept the sin, we can still accept the person. Do we accept our brothers and sisters for who they are? And also in this verse, I see the principle not only of acceptance, but also 
will and principle of abandonment. You see, if you have cold hands and you go to somebody that has warm hands and you stick your cold hands and they rub your hands with their warm hands, what happens is the warmth from their hands transfers to your hands. So you receive warmth, but at the same time, they are abandoning their comfort to give you comfort. They feel the coldness of your hands while you feel the warmth. Here we go again. While they feel the warmth from your hands. Are you willing to abandon your comfort for your brother? Sacrifice yourself. You know, I would imagine if any one of you would have met up with Aaron Ralston in the canyon that day, you would have been willing to abandon your comfort. You would have been willing to say, here I am, you may have my coat. You know, I have some water. Let me give you a drink. Uh, here's some energy bars. You need something to eat. You would have abandoned almost anything you had for his sake. What about when you meet your brother who's struggling spiritually? Are you willing to abandon your comfort to give yourself for him, to give up your comfort to help him on the journey? And finally, we see the principle of accountability. In verse 12, it says, If one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. This is talking about facing the enemy. One is going to withstand you. Someone's going to prevail you. How can you face the enemy? And it gives the idea that two can face the enemy better than one. The principle of accountability. Are we willing to be accountable to each other? And I find it interesting that this idea of accountability comes last in this passage. You cannot just walk into somebody's life and expect to tell them what to do and expect them to appreciate that. But if you first accept that person for who he is, you affirm him, you assist him, you abandon yourself for him, and he feels that, then he will be willing to accept your accountability as well. Are we willing to touch the lives of our brothers in that way? Well, we left there and back there, 60 feet up the canyon wall. He continued on with his amputation procedure. He cut through his flesh, but his knife was too dull for scraping against the wall to cut the tendons in his arm. So he cut them off with his fire. And he described the moment when he fell free from that rock. He said, that was the happiest moment of my life when I realized that maybe I would not die here after all. But his ordeal was still far from over. He had to repel 50 feet down that cliff with one hand, which he did. He had eight miles to walk. He started walking. Remember, he hadn't had water for two days. Hadn't had food. Started walking at seven miles to go, six miles, five miles, four, three, two. Finally, he only had one more mile to go when he met some other bikers. They gave him water, they gave him food, and they were able to contact help. And the helicopter came in and threw them out to the hospital. And he survived. But his life today is different for one reason because he was fighting alone. God did not expect you to fight alone. Paul did not fight alone. Jesus did not fight alone. He called 12 men. In the book of the Gospel of Mark, it says he called 12 that they could be with him. And in his most 
intimate experiences in life. As he went up to the mountain of transfiguration, as he went into the garden to pray, he always had these three brothers, these three men that he took with him. Paul did not try to climb the mountain. Even Jesus did not try to climb the mountain. And if you think you can successfully climb the mountain, you're setting yourself up for a fall. Let us not climb the mountain. I'd like to look at one more point here in scaling the height. That day in New Mexico, as we were climbing Mount Peak, or Cook Peak, we did make it to the peak, and as we come to the top of that mountain, I noticed that positioned there right on the peak of the mountain was this uh, metal ammunition box, the box, the metal case with the plant down there with the rubber seal. I thought it was kind of curious that this ammunition box was way up on the mountain. And uh, so I decided to see what's in the box. And I opened up the box. And inside was a guest book, a little tablet for anyone who reached the peak of that mountain to sign their name. It's kind of interesting to look at. There were some hikers, some climbers from Europe, uh, one from France, I think there was one from Sweden that had signed their name there. There was a 70-year-old man that had signed the peak. And they wrote a few notes about the time, what they saw, and so forth. And so when we left that mountain, our names were in the book along with a few comments about the beauty of God's creation and what he did. As you're climbing the mountain, do not stop until your name is in the book. The book that is going to be open, do not stop until you find your name in the book. Now, my name might not be written in too many significant places here on this earth. You know, my name isn't written with the name of of Edmund Hillary or Neil Armstrong or some of these people that walked where no one had walked before. But every one of us has the privilege of having our names written in the book with names like Elijah, with names like Moses, with names like Noah. You can have your name written in the book as you climb the mountain. Climb with Jesus. Climb where he is. And there will be no limit to the places he can take you. Come, ye, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. I think we'll take a break now, and uh, perhaps have a couple songs, whatever, and then continue on afterwards.